Hey, listener, this is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We are actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to UpMyInfluence.com slash guest. Let's get on with the show. All right, hey everyone. Welcome back to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Jen Amos. And today I have with me the Managing Director of Trinity Blue, Trey Taylor. You can learn more about him and his company at trinity-blue.com. Trey, welcome to the show. Morning, Jen. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, see in the virtual sense, right? I just, exactly, you know, yeah. I've given everything. It's like, this is basically our new reality until whatever happens next. But I, uh, speaking of which, I am curious to know, do you feel any different from 2020? <laughs> I don't, you know, and I think the challenge in 2020 for all of my clients and for my own business was, uh, you know, if you can stay in business in 2020, that, that was the thing, right? That mm. was the thing to accomplish. Uh, right. Then you worry about growth and that sort of thing. I don't know exactly, except for the you know changes in Washington and the craziness going on there, what's going to be different economically in 2021. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe we have the same goal this year as we did last year. Yeah, I, I really like that mindset. Uh, you know, 2020 it was really about staying afloat, and I feel like um, I feel like 2020 really kind of showed which businesses. Um, planned ahead, like they had reserves or they were smart with their money. Um, or even if, um, even so, they've learned to pivot um, and adapt to the time. So, you know, 2020 was a really fascinating time to uh, see the resilience of entrepreneurs, I believe, and, and business owners. Like that, that's really what it showed me last year. And I was fortunate to, you know, interview a lot of people uh, in the last quarter or two of the year and hear like what they did at the, you know, once um, COVID hit and, you know, they were in denial for maybe a couple of weeks. And then, you know, they're like, okay, we got to pivot. And especially when they, people started to lose clients or business. And, um, but again, you know, just that resiliency um, and coming back in a different way, in a more powerful way to serve, you know, what's going on today has been quite inspiring and, and, and beautiful to witness and, and have, um, you know, talk to these guests and, and hear their story, how they were able to do that. So, and I imagine for you, Trey, um, working with C-suite executives, I, I can imagine that it, it was probably the same experience for you. It absolutely was. And I'm, I'm kind of lucky to be able to be exposed to a lot of, of those kinds of folks. So it's not mm-hmm. just six or eight or 10 clients, but, you know, two, 300 uh, different businesses that I come into contact with at this level every single year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the ones that were telling me, uh, we, we just have to wait until everything gets back to normal. Those were the ones that I took by the lapels and said, it, it's never going to be that way again. That is, yeah. that's the story that you're going to tell your kids and grandkids from the, you know, in the future, but it, it's not going back there. It's the new normal, the now normal, whatever the buzzwords are being thrown around. Yeah. That's what you have to focus on today. And, yeah. um, and some of them can make that jump and some of them frankly couldn't, and they were the ones that struggled the most. Yeah. I had a, a previous guest that said something like he was telling his team, um, Hey, uh, he said something like, um, let's just assume that like, it's just going to be this bad now. Let's just assume like, this is it. 
what are we going to do about it? And, you know, long story short, his business is still thriving. He's even opening up another office. And um, it's important to ask those real questions, the real now questions and the reality of it all. And, you know, I understand that early on, a lot of us were in complete denial. I was, I was in denial. I was like, what is going on here? You know, like, fortunately, my husband and I work from home. So it's not like we saw the difference too much. But then as we started to go out to the grocery stores where you had to wear a mask and, you know, and certain places were being locked down, I think that's when reality (laughs) actually started to hit for me. (laughs) And, you know, the other interesting thing that I had uh, shared with somebody the other day is um, your stories of COVID are different than mine. Mm-hmm. And in 20 years, we'll meet up and you'll tell me how you were in lockdown and I wasn't or vice versa, right. or whatever it was. We are experiencing this all together, but mm-hmm. in vastly different ways from one another, depending on where we are, what our family situation is and that sort of thing. And I think that evokes some compassion. It should evoke some compassion. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think there's probably some economic determinants there as well that will come uh, in, the, uh, in the future years that we'll have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I like how you uh, mentioned the word compassion. You know, I think that's definitely what 2020 has brought out in all of us is to, you know, be more compassionate with oneself and with each other and give each other a little more grace because, yeah, it is a very odd time. And like you said, we're all experiencing it very differently. And uh, I feel like a lot of us have kind of come back to uh, humanizing one another. Now, I mean, it depends on where you're looking at and if you're watching news um, in regards to being humanized. But anyway, at least in this conversation, um, it seems like even in my own circle that a lot of people are just taking the time to actually listen to one another and say, how can I help you right now? How can we help each other? Um, So uh, on that note, Trey, I know that you take a holistic approach to helping your clientele. So uh, let's get into the details of that. For people that are hearing about Trinity Blue for the first time. What's your company about and how do you help uh, C-suite executives? Yeah, and so we're an executive uh, coaching and implementation company uh, focused around the idea that uh, we want to work from a strategic action plan of 12 months, right? Because mm. people tend to uh, want to plan really far out and mm-hmm. never sort of put the underpinnings uh, necessary in place uh, to get the implementation done to reach those three, five, seven, or 10-year goals. Mm-hmm. And so what we believe is we take those goals and we turn them into yearly action plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's remarkably helpful for executives to be able to look at a scorecard and say, here are the 92 things we said we were going to do this year. Mm-hmm. We're only executing 40 of them. There's a problem in the organization. Let's work on that. And so we do a lot of that. Before we can do that, though, we have to work Um, what we call uh, the interior side of the executive themselves. So, um, you know, our our sort of watchword there is if the inner work is small, the outer work cannot be great. And so we do a lot of organizational psychology and we're not licensed psychologists and don't try to be, but we want uh, executives paying attention to sort of the three dimensions of themselves before they pay, uh, pay attention to that in their people. Those three dimensions um, are the intellectual dimension, the emotional dimension, and the identity dimension. And when you mm-hmm. get those three things working in congruence, uh, authenticity blooms and uh, results are much easier to achieve. So we do that work first before we get into the nitty gritty of you know, action planning and um, you know, job descriptions for CEOs and things like that. 
Yeah. You have to tell me, uh, what is the common feedback that you get from these execs who go through that internal process? Because I I feel like that's um, kind of out of the norm, right? To help um, these individuals uh, start. Again, I I love that quote that you said, if the inner work is small, the outer work can't be great. And so what has has that been like for you to, or sorry, what has the feedback been for that with the clients that you've been working with? Yeah, so most of our clients are in a categorical burnout and have no idea that they are, right? Mm. They're, they're working a job because the job must be worked. Uh, they, they aren't bringing passion to the entire experience. Uh, they're pulled in too many different ways, uh, you know, too many different directions. They, uh, everybody that works for them has the ability to put something on their to-do list, mm. which is not the way it's supposed to be, you know, those kinds of things. And those things accrete over time. In, in, in very small increments. And so after 15 years in the, in the position, you look around and you say, this is not the life that I'm supposed to be living. You know, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be the CEO or the CFO of this company and, and living this, you know, dramatic, glamorous financial life. And, and you're in drudgery all the time. Mm-hmm. And that wears on the soul. And so uh, that's what we work on. We work with uh, executives to right size their lives to make sure that people that they pay to do jobs are doing those jobs. Um, And if they're not, then they're doing jobs in other companies, you know, Mm -hmm. that we part company with them. Uh, And it it is a remarkably freeing emotional and sort of almost spiritual thing that happens in the clients uh, where they say, now I can put my passion into things that I really care about. Mm -hmm. What is the uh, maybe a typical timeframe, you know, for that transformation to happen? Yeah, we see really good progress in about in under three months, mm-hmm. under three meetings with executives. Um, that progress then rolls down to sort of the second level managers. And then over a period of one to three years, depending on the size of the company and how committed the executive team is, mm-hmm. uh, we can see real, true, long lasting cultural changes. And culture shows up in the behaviors of your people. Mm-hmm. So until I see everyone in the organization behaving along the same lines with the same values, uh, then we haven't perfected the culture yet. And so that's a lot of where we spend our time is, um, is building culture. Yeah. And I like how you, uh, in a sense, start from the top. You start with the CEO and then you you trickle your way down to the managers and then eventually to the employee. Because, you know, I think that it's safe to say that most businesses are the vision of the CEO, the person running it. And it has to be reflective of, you know, who they are and their values and everything. But if the CEO is burnt out, <laughs> you know, it's it's difficult, you know, and, and I think it makes, a, it makes the environment a little confusing and maybe um, a little nerve wracking. <laughs> and so it's a, it's really smart. I think um, your guys's approach to start from the top in a sense. Um, so we do. And we also start from the bottom. So in our initial exercise, uh, and this is a requirement, it's not open to negotiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we survey every employee in the company. doesn't mm-hmm. matter what job they do. Uh, we, we survey all employees and any key 1099 contractor relationships like attorneys or anything of that nature. And we survey them along 10 different paths, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, with questions around culture, around operations, around finance and sales and marketing and all, all aspects of the business. Mm-hmm. And then we compile that data and we bring it back to the executive team and we ask them, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, where do you think the organization is? And then we reveal to them where the organization perceives itself. Wow. 
And then our job becomes, this is how we build a strategic action plan. Our job becomes, how do we close that gap? So we want to be perfect in everything that we do. Why else would we put our hands to it? Right. So we build that plan out uh, and it gets people working on things that are near and, and accomplishable within 12 months. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times it is a freeing experience. And a lot of times it's an experience where you really have to sit back and say, our direction is wrong, our consultant is wrong, or uh, our team is wrong. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a very productive process uh, to the good and to the bad sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I know that you've, uh, at this point, 15 years in business, you've worked with hundreds of uh, CEOs or C-suite executives and businesses. Uh, I'm curious, has there been any particular industry that has benefited the most from, you know, your work, like maybe a particular, um, yeah, like I said, a particular industry? Yeah, we find that the model works um, everywhere. And I came up with a model because I come from a venture capital background. And we, we sailed into uh, 9-11 with a lot of uh, venture capital clients. Mm. And then they were faced with the idea that we can't raise additional funds to support the companies that we've already supported. We really have to figure out which one of these companies is going to survive so that we know which ones to fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those that aren't, we have to get them fixed or get them gone. So mm-hmm. we started this process as a turnaround model. And, um, and so I took that and said, well, you know, if I can use it more proactively, I can help companies from going off the rails in the first place. Mm. And so with that said, it's relatively universal that, you know, every company, it's my, it's my belief anyway, that every company is its own organism and, uh, mm-hmm. and they behave in organic ways. So from that standpoint, it's a bit universal, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have, just because of my connections and where I have uh, spent my career, I have a lot of uh, insurance, financial services, employee benefits clients. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of real estate um, clients of a certain size and I have a lot of SaaS company clients as well. So technology, uh, financial services, uh, and real estate and marketing are really the three verticals that just tend to, you know, once you get three or four clients, they recommend you to their friends. And that's how it goes from that standpoint. Yeah, it kind of becomes this uh, domino effect. <laughs> you know, you find yeah. one, you find them all. <laughs> yeah, and in, in, in some of the, most of these companies, you know, it's the idea in technology, I'm, I'm working so fast and so hard to build something that mm-hmm. I never have time to step back and professionalize what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. The same thing in insurance and, and real estate as well you know, I'm working so hard to get the next deal done that I never have time. If I take my foot off the gas, I'm afraid of what will happen. So I never take time to step back and professionalize. And I grow from one person shop to a 30 or 50, a hundred person company. Mm -hmm. And I've never done that work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then that's where we are, are super good fits for people like that who want to professionalize, you know, get rid of the burnout on the exec team, uh, really, uh, optimize operations and uh, and then really begin to live at that next level. Yeah, I, I'm curious to know. Do you think it's a valid fear uh, for the uh, for these execs to um, to feel like, oh, I can't get my, I can't, I can't let my foot off the gas pedal. I have to keep going. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, and of course, every good uh, consultant will give you the answer. It depends, but mm. I don't think it depends. I think it it, it is solely tied to the choice of how much ego are you going to be allowed to tie up in your business. Mm, Uh, And sometimes it's very profitable decisions. Sometimes people with very healthy egos can really drive businesses for 20, 30, 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, No problem with that. But from a succession standpoint and from a 
uh, crisis management standpoint, you know, the bus yeah. is coming for all of us and we have to have succession plans built in. Uh, so no, I don't, uh, I'm not a believer that it's okay not to uh, think about those things. Um, not always being true. Yeah. I like that bold answer. No. <laughs> um, so, you know, after you uh, work on uh, what you described as the interiors, uh, the interior side of these executives, uh, tell us the next step. I know that uh, there's some pillars um, that you also do, three pillars of um, helping them focus on culture, people, and numbers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like once the in- interior side is taken care of? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we work on that to make sure that you know yourself before you can know your people. And then um, one of the things that we've arrived at over the years is there's only one job in the building that doesn't have a job description, and that's the CEO, mm. right? The, the understanding is the CEO is supposed to do whatever magical stuff that CEOs do and everything else that nobody else can do. Mm-hmm. And it's a remarkably inefficient way to run anything, mm-hmm. and, uh, and no other uh, facet of life do we do that. Like in the Army – you know, the five-star general doesn't go, uh, you know, clean the latrines if the privates don't do it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. But in business, that's exactly what we expect. And we mm-hmm. hear stories of like Ray Kroc going and cleaning up in the bathrooms of McDonald's stores and things like that. And so, you know, it becomes a badge of honor that I'm not too good to do the low-level work. Yeah. Um, it's my argument that that's an extremely harmful attitude. Yeah. to take into business because a CEO, if they are properly oriented, mm-hmm. uh, is really the only person in the organization capable of setting the agenda and managing accommodation and accountability around three specific topics, culture, people, and numbers that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, it isn't that he, he or she is the only person that can touch those items, uh, quite the opposite. We want other people involved. Um, but setting the agenda and saying, this is where we are going over communicating, uh, what the destination looks like and keeping people accountable to that vision. That's the role of the CEO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really powerful and kind of being reminded of that. Um, and yeah, like you said, if, if, if it's this idea that the CEO is above certain things, um, the team's going to pick that up. The company is going to pick that up and there is going to be resentment. So I just, I love that um, story that you shared with Ray Kroc, you know, going into McDonald's and cleaning the bathrooms and, you know, it's not beneath them. It's still imperative to the business that you have clean bathrooms. (laughs) And and, mm -hmm. so he did that not to get the work done, but to model the behaviors that he wanted to see in people. Mm -hmm. And I think that lesson gets missed all the time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. if, you, if you can imagine being the general manager of a McDonald's where the CEO of a, a global multi-billion dollar company, at one point the largest company on earth, and your CEO had to come in and clean your bathroom, <laughs> like you'll never make that mistake again, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was what Kroc was really good at modeling what the behaviors he wants to see in mm-hmm. his people. Um, and then that's our definition of culture. You know, culture shows up in the behaviors of your people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, beautifully said. Uh, Trey, so as I mentioned earlier, you've been in business for 15 years. That's, that's quite a long time. And, um, and so I imagine that uh, everything that you're doing here has stood the test of time um, in regards to your approach with helping these executives and creating that plan for uh, 12 months. Uh, I'm curious to know, what, is your, what has sort of been your secret or maybe um, the reason why you've been able to be in business for so long? I think it's because the material works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we didn't read about this in some book and say, oh, I'm going to try that and make it my own and that sort of thing. We put this to work in businesses where we 
we had millions at stake and could mm-hmm. be lost. And so if we didn't get it right, um, you know, then we were going to have to live very different lives uh, from what we actually do today. So I mm-hmm. think that's a lot of it, that this is tried and true, battlefield tested, uh, and, you know, has a long pedigree of a good intellectual side, but good results, you know. Yeah, absolutely. At this point in your journey of uh, being an entrepreneur and being in business, uh, what would you say you're most proud of? Uh, When I took over the business 15 years ago, it was a family business in the financial services sector. Mm -hmm. Uh, I took over in the uh, face of tragedy. So my dad had passed away at a very young, unexpected uh, disease. It was actually COVID and we didn't even have a name for it back then. It was the SARS virus. Uh, And we had no idea. The doctors had no idea what they were dealing with. And it was like, we don't know, put him on a vent, you know, which now we kind of know is the worst possible thing to do. You know, those kinds of things. And so I came into an organization. uh, I didn't know the people. I didn't want to be in the business. I wanted to do something uh, vastly different. And we were able to keep that together, hit all of the goals that he had laid out before that. And we've grown that business um, um, exponentially since then over the next uh, 15 years to be a very respected um, business and part of what we do. And it's the test bed of all of the things that I do. We test it out on ourselves five to seven years before it ever gets into other clients. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that story about your dad. Uh, For myself, I I tend to, um, I like to express that uh, sympathy because I lost my dad at at, um, um, almost 20 years ago now. And so I I can imagine how impactful uh, that was for you to, and your family to experience, but, um, and, and kudos to you, you know, for being able to carry on his legacy and keep the business going. I think um, I've definitely heard stories where, um, you know, a parent loses, uh, passes away. And unfortunately the kids can't sustain it. And so it's pretty tragic. Um, And so to hear that you were able to keep it going uh, definitely says a lot about you. Uh, You are the kind of person that sounds like uh, you practice what you preach. um, And here you are today. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and, and I appreciate those kind words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Trey, before we get going, I know that you wanted to share some parting tips uh, to um, CEOs. And so what what are some things you want to share with them before we go? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we came out with a book, a CEO only does three things. Uh, those three things are culture, people, and numbers. We've gotten a lot of speaking gigs and, you know, uh, speaking to groups and saying, you know, okay, once we understand that, and the number one question that comes up is what, what separates a good CEO from a great CEO? Mm. So, uh, I'll head the question off at the pass and give you the answer. And, in in my conception, uh, of things, a great CEO has two skills Uh, that make impact on their people uh, for the rest of their lives. And number one is preception. Mm. It's the ability to perceive in someone else strengths or identities that they can't see in themselves at that moment, right? Mm -hmm. But that's of no use without the second one. And the second skill is evocation. It's the ability to call from within Mm. that that self-image, and if, uh, if I ask you, and I do this with my audiences all the time, if I ask you to think about the first person that saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself and what he or she did to call that from within you into a way that you now live in accordance with that self-image, mm-hmm. I just watched your body language completely change and your facial expression change because you came up with that person, right? And every single person that I've ever asked that question to has had the same experience. For me, it was my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Brownlee. She saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. 
She challenged me. She was not a nice person about it. I mean, it was hold your feet to the fire and get it done, Mr. Taylor, and that sort of thing. And every single day I live now, 40 years, 30 years later, every single day I live, I live in accordance with the self-image that she helped me form of myself. Preception and evocation. That's what great CEOs do. That's what great leaders do. That's what great people do. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, Trey, you are a wealth of knowledge and I think a beacon of light to a lot of your clientele and I'm, I imagine your team. Uh, thank you so much for you know doing what you do and, and also uh, for joining us here on The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Same here, Jen. Thanks so much. And I love the work you guys do. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, well, thanks for listening. <laughs> Um, And again, to our listeners, this is Trey Taylor, who is the managing director of Trinity Blue. You can learn more about him and his company at trinity-blue.com. Thank you all so much for joining us, and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag UpMyInfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're gonna promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement.